When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Buenos dias, chicas y chicos. Uh, hello and welcome, a very warm welcome to the Joy of Paddle podcast. Spreading and sharing the supreme delight of this wonderful and fast-growing game. I'm your host, Minter Dial, and this podcast is brought to you by Paddle 1969, the largest manufacturer of premium paddle courts, one court for life by Paddle 1969. Joy of Paddle is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. For more information about the network, go ahead and check out evergreenpodcast.com. So this is the inaugural season of the Joy of Paddle podcast. And to start with, we're going to do an episode once every fortnight. Episodes will drop every other Wednesday at 12 noon London time. Please let us know what you think about the show by putting up a rating and review. So for this 10th episode of the Joy of Paddle podcast, I'm excited to bring to you Sandy Farkerson. Sandy's a member of the National GB Paddle team having developed as a tennis player and previously been coach of ATP and WTA players on the tennis circuit. In 2012, Sandy converted to paddle and participated in the development of the sport in the UAE. He has organized WPT and FIP tournaments, been the coach of the national teams in both the UAE and GB, and represented GB in the European and World Championships. He founded the Paddle School in January of 2019 to give the paddle community the tools to take their on-court performance to a new level, which will in turn grow the sport into a powerhouse across the globe. Sandy's an ambassador and a shining light for the sport. Vamos! Sandy, you are the maestro of the Paddle School and great to have you on the show. The joy of paddle welcomes you. In your own words, how would you like to describe yourself, Sandy? Well, thank you very much for having me. First of all, Minta, absolute, absolute pleasure to be here. Um, describing myself, um, I, I suppose I would say that I'm a, a kind of community, community slash people uh, driven person, really. I, I enjoy, um, you know, and, and we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about this with Paddle, but I enjoy the social aspect of Paddle and I'm, you know, a sociable person. I like to meet people. I like to... To, to travel and 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 so you know what I'm currently doing fits that quite nicely. Indeed. Well, uh, you know, let's talk. Well, so talk about your path into paddle because obviously you have you're a great athlete. And what's your what's your pathway, the credentials into paddle? Yeah. So my my pathway into paddle, I, my background was tennis before. So I I played college tennis and then I played pro tennis for for a couple of years and and then coached on the tour. And, and I think it's probably worth saying at this stage that my education was in biomechanics of human performance. So, you know, a, a lot of what I did as a tennis coach, I also did the strength and conditioning side. I also did a lot of the, the kind of biomechanics uh, when it comes to uh, players off court routines. And so when it, when it came to changing sports, that 
that came in very useful. But um, my my journey into paddle really is 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 probably quite unique. I was in Dubai. I would finish my uh, tennis coaching experience there. I cancelled my visa, sold my furniture. I was on on my way out of Dubai, um, as it were, and someone dropped out of a paddle competition. Um, and and just sheer chance, it was the week before I was leaving and. Um, I, I have quite a strong squash background, particularly as a junior. Uh, and I thought, you know what, I'll give it a go. Um, it, it, it looks fun. It, it looks like something that I would enjoy. Um, and we ended up playing playing that tournament and doing quite well in that tournament. And uh, eventually I, I ended up winning that tournament with, with my Spanish partner. And that's probably more of a refre- reflection on the level of the paddle there, as opposed to me just being a, a natural at the game. Um, and and at the time there were there were really only two public courts and and this was at a private private facility and after the final I, I had my flight like two and a half hours after the final so I had all my suitcases with me at the final and 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 literally was right I need to get thank you very much uh, fantastic tournament I need to get to the airport now I'm I'm on my way out and um, the management team there gave me a call on the way to the airport and said look. Um, you know, we really liked you. Um, we think that you might be a good fit for managing uh, the paddle facility or managing racket sports, but they didn't have tennis. And so um, I said, look, let me think about it. My, my whole background is in tennis. I'm making a jump to a sport that really no one knows. And at the time, I mean, there was, you know, there was this is 12 years ago. There was no uh, content in English. There was, you know, most of the country, Sweden hadn't even started. They hadn't even opened their first club at that stage. And so um you know really no one knew about it uh and in the end I thought I was going to take a little bit of a pun I was a bit frustrated with uh the tennis and 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 how that was developing and so I thought you know what I'm gonna gonna go for it and and part of my agreement with um the club and actually it turned out to be His Highness Sheikh Hamdan's facility so I was actually his coach and his rackets manager part of my agreement with them was um I, I get to go to Spain and train with the, the coaches that I feel um, would help develop me as a player, but also as a coach uh, for the coming years. And, and that's exactly what I did. So I spent the next three or four years taking dozens of trips um, back to see, you know, the, those those influential people in the game. And, and quite often I needed a translator. My, my, my Spanish is, you know, pigeon Spanish at best. Um, and so, you know, the, the first course I had Horacio Clemente teaching me coach education who's almost the godfather of of paddle and uh, we had a translator for that and I got all of his material in English and 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 that really started my journey in um playing the game but also you know coaching the game and understanding um you know the, the methodology behind it and and things like that and so you know that that was like I said 12 years ago I played tennis once in the last 12 years um there was not really a you know, it just went from one straight to the other, and and so uh, you know, I'm, I'm very, I'm very thankful that paddle has grown in the way that um, it has. Otherwise, yeah, I, I may have had to make a jump back to tennis had it not had it not grown so well. Just quickly on the time you went back to tennis, did you find that your paddle helped or hindered? Um, it was a difficult situation. So my brother, who now works with me at the paddle school, he was playing on the tour. And so and he was about 380 ATP. And I used to coach him when when he was younger. And I, so he was one of the players I was on, on the tour with. And um, I went to hit with him in a warm up for, for a challenger event. And um, I 
played a, you know a couple of years of paddle at that, at that stage and he was hitting I mean he hits the ball so well and so heavily that um I, I kind of immediately fell out of my depth um yeah. and you know for me it was everything from you know the, the way I was playing with continental both sides and um you know the, the shortness of the racket it just you know, had I gone for a gentle hit with a friend, it probably yeah. would have been fine, and I would have yeah. enjoyed it. But as it was, as it was, I I found you know a real struggle, and so uh, yeah, so so it, it it was it was difficult that one time in tennis. Well, I you know when you need to perform, and 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 tennis, of course, has been evolving in its own way. I want to go back to that first game you had with your Spanish partner. So you've got your tennis background, some squash. You're playing with a Spaniard, and I'm guessing he couldn't have been so bad uh, as well. But talk talk us through how much he was helping you to learn, and as a how he was instructive, pedagogical, helping you to transition into the game of paddle. Like Sandy, don't hit it so hard. Sandy, you know, wait for the wall. You know mm-hmm. how much of how much was that was happening in that game for you, and how much does that inform your way of helping you know tennis players into paddle. Yeah, it's interesting. If I look back at it now, I I was doing all the things that I am recommending players change about their game now. <laughs> so, you know, I was I was rushing the net, I was playing fast volleys, I was hitting attacking smashes, um, and I played a lot of doubles. I played a lot of doubles in college. I, so so I like that style of play, and I like coming forward and, and attacking the volley. And and it's interesting because the, the the Spanish in that tournament, like I said, the level wasn't a a high. Uh, Spanish player I would say it was a, a, a an intermediate or strong recreational player so it, it's quite interesting and I, I see this with coaching now is that they they were trying to articulate how to play but not really understanding the the methodology themselves so it was very much a do what I'm doing but I can't explain to you why what you're doing needs to be corrected if that makes mm, sense and yeah. so um you know, really, the main learning came the year after I, I joined Dubai because I went on on all of these trips and and I started that role. And then a year later, we brought in uh, a, a good Spanish player, and he came and he was coaching with me um, at, at the facility in in Dubai. And I played a lot of one on one with him and learned a lot from him about uh, you know defending the glass and and almost breaking through that barrier of. You know, as a tennis player, I'm sure you, you'll you'll see this a lot. Mentor is that players are always blocking and instinctively avoiding that glass, and and it takes real time and and effort to to break that down. And you know, and I spent months like trying to get through that and and really getting frustrated with the double glass and the spins off the glass and understanding how to to deal with those and where the ball would be and how I position myself. And 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 I think all tennis players need to go through that before they can become a good paddle player that they might play you know tennis well on a paddle court and and get like like I was at the beginning but until you really embrace those parts of the game in paddle it's very difficult to to get to to a good level i i get the feeling that it's it's almost like going through the wardrobe in uh, the line the witch in the wardrobe you, once you've gone into it you go through into this other world it becomes so obvious to wait and let it hit the back wall. And until then, you're still half falling. You're still, well, I know how to do that. I don't know how to do that. Or 
I know intellectually I should be doing it, but I prefer to do this. And <laughs> what, it, what, what does it take for someone to move yeah. through that? I, I like, I mean, I like that example, you know, the, the, the Narnia example, but it, but for me, it would be like having almost wardrobes within wardrobes, right? Because I think in that example, it's like you go through that first door and you think, right, I've got to learn the glass. You know, I'm really struggling and you, you admit to yourself, right, I need to learn the glass. And then you start getting used to the glass and then you say, right, well, I need to change my overheads. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm being far too attacking. I need to understand paddle overheads. Okay, great. Then you go through the next one. You say, well, actually, the way I'm approaching my points is far too aggressive. And I'm, I'm getting to where I'm trying to finish. So I need to, to change that mentality. And, and then it suddenly, you know, and, and this is what I love about paddle is that it, as you get better, it gets more and more complex. And, and, you know, I just come back from Chicago last night and, and we had a couple of advanced players that were playing and, and we were discussing the different types of lobs. So you have a high lob and a fast lob and and they hadn't really understood that concept and why you would do that. And that's a an, it's a, an advanced concept, you know, that you, you kind of teach on how to get net players out of position. And, and so this is what I really enjoy about it is that it's in stages and, and you 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 develop your game as you go and, and learn as you go. And and that's this is really where this guidance from a from a coach, well, this is exactly what we're trying to do with, with the paddle school, but it, this this guidance along that journey to help you get better. Because if you don't have that, then it can be very frustrating and you end up plateauing and uh, you know, well, we see it all the time. I love it. I love how you describe the sort of the multi multi layered Narnia, um, and and I and and to add to that, the other thing that I've observed, and and I, you can comment is, paddle itself is also layering on new techniques, new methods. I mean, I I was talking to one coach um, the other day who said, no, you don't do the gancho anymore. The the best players, you know, Sanjo does, or maybe Bella, but for the rest modern paddle we've eliminated the gancho which is the just for those who are listening the kind of a, a flat or, or straight arm uh, overhead where you're just pushing the ball back usually uh, when you're playing typically in the deuce court as a right-handed player hmm. yeah i mean i i find those sweeping statements and i've heard that with the bandeja and the gancho i, I find those that quite entertaining um because well, if you let us laugh this is the joy of paddle <laughs> well well the, the thing is is you, you you say that you say right well now the bandeja is not in the modern game and and you watch through 30 seconds of lebron playing on the right hand side and you see he's hit three bandejas and and, and you say well <laughs> Who, who's well, he you, who's he yeah well <laughs> exactly and 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 the, the bit i find really difficult you know this is a conversation i have with rec recreational players all the time is Yes, but, um, you know, these players now are hitting Vibras instead of Bandecas. I, I say, yeah, but, you know, this, this is, you're talking Sanyo at the World Paddle Tour level. And, and if you've ever watched him live, you will see that, I mean, he has phenomenal hands. And so, you know, it, it, it's a bit like saying on, you know, the, the the tennis circuit that, you know, Nadal, you've got to hit your forehand how Nadal hits his forehand. But it's not, it doesn't work like that. The, the You need to sort out the mechanics first and, you know, again, it comes to, well, make slight changes in the grips like the pros. Well, well first, get the game in continental grip and, and get your technique good. 
and then you can make the changes that, that suit you physically. But uh, this is, you know, the, the idea that you don't have a Gancho or Bandeka anymore, it, I find is it is absurd because, you know, there are players all the time playing that shot and, and that's at the pro level. So you're going to find lots and lots of players, you know, a, a, an intermediate and, and learning level that are doing it. So, um, you know, this is, this is an ongoing discussion. It's, it's quite interesting because a lot of the coaches that we talk to that are from a, a paddle country, uh, a, a long-term paddle country, say, well, yeah, I didn't, I wasn't taught the gancho, so so I don't think it's necessary now. And you say, well, that's not, you know, that that's not how, you know, education education works. You, every individual is different. Yeah, and and for example, you know, if uh, for me uh, the gancho I find very necessary because I'm I'm not quick enough to get myself back into a position to do something else, and you know, I also have to worry about my steam, my age. I can't be running just the same pace everywhere like a youngster uh, can. And I wanted to get back into one other thing, which is a, an area of expertise on your side, is the biomechanical element. And I was wondering if you could translate for us if there's any difference in the, the, the way you do training and biomechanical elements of work relative to a lawn tennis or a squash versus paddle? Yeah, I mean, I think that the, the major thing to consider when you, you're comparing the sports is, um, you know, racket head speed and, and, and generation of power. You know, you, you look at those two sports specifically and, and you've got your squash where, you know, often you see the players lift their elbow and it's a lighter racket, a very light ball. And the, the racket head speed on squashes is extremely high. Um, you know, and, and tennis, really the same. The court is, you know, much longer and their, their generation through the whole kinetic chain, you know, right the way from toes up to up till contact point is a kinetic chain to develop power. Whereas the game of paddle is is not about power. I mean, really, you would only use the power on, you know, the overheads or, or the aggressive shots that you want to finish the point. You're never you're never going to see a pro player have a ball from the back and then absolutely drive their body and hit it as hard as they could. Like, it, you just, there, there would be no intention to doing that, you know, a, a risk-reward. It's just not worth it. So um, when you take that into consideration, you then look back the chain on the biomechanics and then, you know, for example, the tennis swing, you therefore don't need that loop. You don't need the leg drive into, you know, back front to foot, to back front to front foot uh, so much. And and so, you know, all of this, all, all of this combines, you've also got to realise that it's multi-directional movement that you're, you know, and, and this is where it's slightly more like squash, but it's, you know, the, the movement patterns are very different. And, and actually, the, the deeper you get in the game, the more you realise it is a different sport. And I think that if players and coaches can take that kind of appreciation from the beginning, that the faster they will improve. And it's it's interesting. We travel the world working with coaches and, you know, a lot of clubs think, right, well, I'm just going to put my tennis coach in to coach paddle. And, and you say, well, oh, that's interesting. Would you take your squash coach in to coach tennis? No, you wouldn't, right? Because it's a different sport. And so I think that that appreciation needs to, or, or will come to light soon, right? When, when tennis coaches experience it, they see it, but until they do, they don't, you know, they don't appreciate that. Yeah, the net and the the yellow fuzzy ball uh, are are um, deceitfully not the same. Um, 
Talking about the paddle school, um, I've listened to several interviews of you um, with your brother, what you're doing there. Give us where you, what, what is the paddle school and, and where are you with it today? So the, the, the paddle school really started and um, it, it, it kind of originated with creating some video content for initially for my group of players. Um, I was in Dubai. I was feeling I was explaining the same things over and over again. And there was no reference in English. I mean, we were, you know, this is a long time before English content was being produced. And so I just thought, right, I'm going to make this content for for our group to, to answer basic questions, you know, things like grip and and footwear and rackets and all that kind of stuff and 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 I made the first few videos and and you'll you'll kind of completely understand this and and you know I think my first video got 11 views and you know and it's and and I wasn't surprised I mean I was thinking I was thinking wow 11 I've only got eight in my group maybe someone someone's watched it twice and 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 so you know and really those first three four months you know similar maybe it increased a little bit 50 odd views and you know, and then I started seeing more and more Swedish because you can see the analytics, which I love, by the way. I love watching the analytics and see which countries are are, are taking because it's quite a clear, particularly in emerging countries. It's quite a clear mm. indication of, of mm. how countries are taking up the sport. Um, but, yeah, then the Swedes started watching and, and it started growing and they started asking questions, which gave me more content, you know, for videos that I could create for them. And, you know, it, it kind of grew through like that. And I thought, right, well, you know, we're making all this social media content that is based on any, anywhere from a beginner player to an advanced player. And, and one week is different and it's a few tips here and there, and at, which is, you know, fantastic. And I wish I'd have had that when I when I was learning. Um, and, and then I thought, right, we really need to find a way for so players can implement it. You know, like it, it's it's a little bit like you see a lot of con- educational content online. You've got you know, all your general information, but it's not really specific to the player. And so that's what we've done on the paddleschool.com is, is made that um, a platform specifically for players. So you, you you get a test for your level and you get a roadmap that fits you and you can send in your videos of your shots and our coaches, you know, we give feedback and, and help you in, improve your game. And, uh, you know, over the, the six years, we've gone from those 13, 14 views a video to, to last month, we got over 9 million views across our, all of our social media channels, which, which, which is obviously, you know, a massive effort, um, but it comes with time. I, I mean, I've done these videos for over six years and haven't missed a week video on YouTube, which, you know, is, is organization. And now we have a bit of a team. So, you know, otherwise there's no way I could, I could produce 50 bits of content a week and which is kind of what we're producing. And so, um, yeah, that, that, that's really where, where we've developed. And so now we, do a lot of trips to to clubs and work with clubs, help them develop their coaches, help them develop their their programs, build, help build the community. We often do a lot of community days where um, everyone's invited and we we have a lot of fun and we we, we do some clinics and training and um, you know and then we work specifically with clubs to to help them develop uh, their programs. The very beginning of the paddle school, as I heard it from you and your brother, was that you didn't have such access to material like this when you were beginning. Uh, and I think it was about tennis actually, but you felt that there was not enough democratically available material, educational, informational, uh, which is what inspired you to really create this much more available material. 
Yeah, and I think, you know, if I look back at my, my tennis, it, I, I found it hugely frustrating. Um, not not partly for myself, but more probably for my brother. I mean, he was he's eight years younger than me. He was a phenomenal player, like number one or two in Europe, at, at, at kind of under 13, under 14 stage. Um, and, and he was used to playing with me eight years older. So he hit a heavier ball than anyone his, in his age group because he was used to that level of play. He he won junior Wimbledon doubles. He played on the tour. And and I felt that the guidance that he received was was not great. And and not just him, but my parents as well. They they, they grew up playing squash and, and they're good sportsmen, both of them. And um, but they weren't they were relatively new to tennis. They hadn't got that that guidance or or anywhere they could ask for support. They were going to their federation and the federation, you know, has its has its difficulties and I don't want to kind of go into those, but it's, it's, you know, there wasn't anywhere that they could turn to, to, to get help or get information or, or he couldn't either. And, and I came away from that and he ended up, you know, being injured and, 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 and in the end ended up stopping his tennis because he just couldn't kind of get to that point where he could compete. And, and I look at the lot of, a lot of the players that are playing now that he, quite comfortably beat as a junior that are, are you know top top 50 top 60 in the world and I, I think that's hugely frustrating that there wasn't anyone or anything out there for him to develop um, and so really combine that with the experience of learning paddle without any any content um, it, it it really kind of pushed me to get this right and that's that's really like a lot of people ask why you know the the, the co- why our content quality is so high for social media, and and I know it. I know it's higher than than, than anyone else's because we all of the the work we put into it is is to create that content for for those people that want to learn. It's highly pedagogical, highly recommended, Plandy. Well done for your ongoing effort and discipline in doing that. You mentioned Federation. Uh, we are recording this on the 25th of August, so this will be coming out much later. But the news, the hot news of the week is the uh, merger between the uh, Premier Paddle and World Paddle Tours. What is one word to, or how do you view that merger? Uh, yeah, I think it's great for the sport. And and. It, it's needed to happen for a while. Um, you know, we've had World Paddle Tour and Premier Tournaments, and you've also got the A1 that are giving tournaments, tournaments. And you know, you, you feel like that the Premier is is a great set of tournaments. Now they've, you know, at this stage, finally had a women's tournament, which finally should have been from the beginning, but is part of the is part of the program now. And and I, and I feel like the combination with the World Paddle Tour, because World Paddle Tour events are are great, particularly in Spain. They they are great events. They're 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 well organised. They are are definitely, you know, showcasing the sport of paddle. And um, I think that the FIP and the, the the Premier does really great events at the top, but then the below the the kind of I would say the the amateur to pro pro level, your your challenges as it were. Um, right the way to European and World Championships are are relatively poorly organised, um, you know, and so I think that this this combination will will be the best of hopefully the best of both. Golden point or deuce? <laughs> um, I, I have to say, at the beginning, I was not a fan of golden point, um, but now I I appreciate it. I was tournament organiser for the 2015 World Paddle Tour in Dubai, and 
and we had our we had our schedule and I'm, I'm someone who likes to stick to a schedule and we didn't have golden point in those days and I think the late the first lady semi-final took over four hours and oh my gosh and and it ended up just throwing the whole schedule out of out of whack and so um I, I can definitely see the the point of it and and actually I I quite like it now I, I think it it adds an element to a game not only as a spectator but also as a player it uh it puts that little bit of pressure on not only on that point but also on the point or two before because if you know that you you have that at, at juice then um you know you, you you kind of want to avoid that situation if you can yeah, you know, I was chatting with my friend Juan Gutierrez, who coaches the Spanish masculine male, male team, and uh, he's like a big, big fan of, of the Golden Point. Pressure, though, pressure. All right, listen, mm-hmm. let's talk a little bit about you, Sandy. Your game, your paddle game. What, uh, where? What's your highest ranking? Where are you in the world's ranking these days? Oh, Minta, well, I'm, I'm on on a steady decline, unfortunately. At the oh, moment. Well, like it, uh, like me. Age, <laughs> age is a thing, isn't it? Age is a thing, and and as I as I do more clinics and more coaching and more um, content, I'm do, it's it's less and less time for training, really. Um, which it is it, partly not helped by the the current number of courts in the UK and the options to train. Um, when I when I left Dubai, I left a very nice facility with some very good players, and I moved back to the UK thinking the growth would be a little faster than it has been, and so. Um, I, I struggle to find good players and a good facility in the UK. So um, I've almost thrown myself a bit more into, you know, the coaching and the traveling and, and that side of things for now. So I'm hoping that when it develops a little bit, I'll, I'll get back on the training court. But um, yeah, at the moment, I moved from left side to right side. And now I'm, you know, steadily playing more and more conservative paddle. So uh, that's that's my paddle. Yeah, but you have been on the gb team correct yeah yeah i'm still on the gb team um yeah. until some 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 younger younger legs knock me out but um well, yeah i i mean the thing is the really interesting thing with paddle is it, it i really think it's it's it takes such a long time to get to grips with a game and understand the game so you know experience is particularly if you can play on the right side and you can play a bit more conservatively uh, the combination of experience and also understanding how to play with partners and mm. um, bring out the best in your partner and bring out mm. the best in, in your game against your opponents. So that that is a kind of intangible that is really important in a match. And so mm. um, that's almost what I bring. A lot of our, our, our British team are, are quite young. And so that's something that, that I definitely bring to that team. And so, you know, I think uh, I think I've got another year or two left in me, um, until before before I hang up my rackets. I I'm gonna say many more years, Sandy. And I think <laughs> it, it sounds like locker room that locker room experience in a rugby in a rugby team, that ability to bring wisdom, some perspective. Obviously, there's in play commentary as well. I'd love to have you tell us about, and I'm guessing why. But who are your favorite pro players to watch? Oh, good question. Um, I, well, I just on on that thing of, of locker room. I think this is really interesting, and this is really interesting from tennis players to, to paddle. Is that like I'm playing? You know, the the younger players in our team are are playing FIPs and they're playing tournaments and they're they're gradually building up their match experience. But when I moved to paddle, I was probably sitting on 
thousands of tennis match experience, you know, and, and the college system is great for that, that you play pressure match after pressure match. So um, it's, it is that locker room thing, but it's also that calmness at the on court and that, that change of end that, you know, look, it, like I've been there where whatever the game score or situation is, or the, the tie in the number of matches, I've been there multiple times. And so whether it's not, whether it's tennis or paddle. So it's, um, it's that calmness, I think, that, that really helps as well. Um, but favourite players to watch? I mean, I, 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 you cannot not enjoy Cuello and Tapia as, as a pair. And, and, you know, the same with really Le- LeBron and Galan. And I think I'm glad that Cuello and Tapia are, are pushing up because I think that they are, they both behave really well on court. They're professional. They're youngsters. They do things right. And I think, you know, it's great to watch them. I, I'm going to throw one out right, you know, left field here a little bit. And I, I love, um, I love Dineno as a, as a player, because I just think he is, he is underrated in the way that his tactical view on the game is so good, but you don't really see it as, as a right court player. You don't see the way that he controls the game, you know, with his lob and, and, I mean, his lob is phenomenal and, and and so many players say it's the most important shot in the game. And I mean, he he's one of those players that I, I, I just enjoy watching because I enjoy how he just really controls the speed, really sets it up. And I'm glad he's playing with Stupa. And, and actually, um, Martin and, and, and Stupa, they came to one of my first exhibition tournaments in Dubai when they were like 16 and they just blew the rest of the the field out of the water. And it's like these little kids come over from Argentina and they flew with their dads because they were underage. And it was, I mean, it was really nice. They were, they were fantastic uh, players and, you know, they played together that whole kind of junior season. And now I'm glad they're, they're back playing together again. And of course that was before Martin had his accident. Oof, yeah. Yeah. That, that was, uh, that was brutal. Um, you know, a lot of, a lot of people don't, don't know that, but, to come back from that with, you know, I mean, two two fractured, <laughs> fractured legs, and to you know to to be able to to compete at this this level, I mean, it takes an enormous amount of grit and determination. Beautiful. Uh, all right, Sandy, your favorite shot. What's your favorite shot to play? My favorite shot would be uh, the vibra, probably. Mm. And is that on the left or the right? Uh, generally the, the the left. I mean, there's nothing, you know, there's nothing more satisfying than playing it from the left-hand side. You've got a bit more space. You can take your time a bit more on that shot and, and, and really get into it. Um, it's not as easy to, to play on the right for, yeah. for many reasons, partly because of the space and, and the opportunity, but um, yeah, generally would be the left. Yeah, totally. I, I had the same feeling. I, I'm of course, uh, let's say condemned to play on the right unless I'm playing with a lefty, and, and hitting that vibra from the right is such a different, uh, a different feel, different look. Um, mm. What about what about a stroke that Sandy needs to improve on? A stroke that Sandy needs to improve on. Uh, I'm not taking my time because I can't think of one. Minch. I'm just <laughs> taking my time. Which one are you going to choose? To select between them. Um, I think the one that the shot that I find the most difficult when I haven't been playing regularly is the lob. Um, you know, and, and that for me is one that uh, when I play regularly and, and like if I go to world championships or European championships and I play day after day for a week, I feel great by the end of the week and I feel really accurate and consistent with the lob. Um, but particularly those first few days is, 
is is getting the right depth and getting the right kind of you know like angle on it and the right trajectory and um that's a shot that if I haven't played for a while it it, it takes it takes a little bit of practice and takes me a little bit of time to get into. So um, I'd probably say, I'd probably say the lob. Brilliant. Well, I want to just uh, dig in one second because it makes me think left backhand or forehand, because I, uh, my situation is I feel much more comfortable with my backhand lob, especially when I'm playing left, getting that lob cross court, uh, getting that height. I, I go down, I go, but on my forehand, I feel like I, I, I like to cheat with that one between almost between the legs, the one that comes at you when you sort of spoon it back up as opposed to what I would call a more classic paddle lob, which is, you know, from low all the way high, I feel better on it. Do you have any distinction for that or is it both sides? Well, I think you bring up an interesting point of, of the purpose of the lob. And so when we teach a, a beginner level, we we're very much focused on the lob is an attacking shot and you should force an easy ball and play the lob on an easy ball so that you can take the net. And as you get better and better, part of the reason you do that is uh, risk. You don't want to hit a bad lob so that you, you get in trouble. And, and as you get better, you can play it in more and more difficult situations because you know you can hit a consistent lob until you get to Martin Dineno, who could play that lob on whatever you hit into that corner, you know, and, and he knows that he can drop it you know, half a foot from that back glass where he wants it. And and so I think, you know, along that that journey, what I find is that um, I go for a lob on a ball that I know that if I'm playing regularly, I could play a good lob on. But as I haven't been, I'm I'm slightly out of touch. And then I would hit a little bit short or, or, or hit a little bit so that it bounces too much off the back glass or whatever it might be. But, you know, the idea is that, forehand or backhand it, it's it's the same for me it's more about the decision making on that lob and you know playing it at the right time and and as I gain um you know more and more consistency back in my game I can go for that lob on a on a slightly more difficult ball if that if that makes sense mm, love it well lots of nuance in these shots how about describing yourself as as a paddle player and I'd like you to use the metaphor of an animal to describe Sandy <laughs> Sandy the paddle oh, wow. player. These are some good questions here, Minter. Um, I think, I think if I, uh, I would describe uh, originally, I would play, um, you know, very, very much like an aggressive, you know, an aggressive coming forward, attacking uh, volleyer, uh, you know, uh, attacking off a lot of balls, sitting quite hard from the back. Like that's that's w when I was was playing more regularly from from the left hand side. Um, as far as an animal for that, I would, yeah, you know, I would, I would like to think it's a, you know, one of those, those kind of aggressive felines. Um, and then, but now I, I definitely play a lot more steady, a lot more controlled, a lot more like trying to, to open the court and, and, and being more, more selective with, with how I go about, um, you know, getting into that position. I'm really trying to set the ball up for, for my partner to, to finish and and putting my opponent in more difficult situations um so yeah god i don't know i suppose a monkey i i, I wouldn't mind thinking of myself as a monkey on the right hand side so yeah love it excellent thank you for that sandy how about the funniest thing that ever happened to you on a paddle court i mean the there are probably thing. many things but give us give us something that parks pops into your mind something something that just pops into my mind and and i i i uh i've been very fortunate in in dubai in that 
I was involved in a lot of a lot of people coming to the court. We had a you know a lot of celebrities, and and we had LeBron and Bella and and Galan all come and train at our facility. And so uh, one day we played an exhibition match, and it was a. Uh, um, one of the local coaches with Galan against myself and 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 another and another coach and um, we played and he'd been training at our facility during the day and I had a little bit of training with him and and then we went on the exhibition court and you know obviously now you've got a lot of people watching it's it's it's, it's a big occasion and playing the first set he is like lightning like it's very difficult to describe if you haven't played against someone like that I mean he knows where the ball is going before you're hitting like and add that to the fact that he is incredibly athletic it's like it's like how on earth do I hit a winner against someone like this and I had the opportunities and and no matter what situation I put him in he he put that ball back up and and so I tried to disguise a smash against him where the ball was coming up and, and I thought, right, I'm going to look like I'm going here, but I'm going to try and change to try and catch him off guard and, and hit a little bit faster and flatter to to bring it back down the line. And what happened was that he kind of read it halfway through and he would have definitely got there, but I ended up like hitting as hard as I could and it hit him um, in, you know, the rather, rather painful, painful area and he would, you know, double down with lying on the floor <laughs> on the court. And this is before like a world paddle tour, like the following. <sighs> I, was thinking, I was thinking, oh my God, what have I done? Um, and I was partly worried about his world paddle tour next week and partly worried about if he ever wanted revenge later on in that set. Because <laughs> he could trouble. surely, yeah, he could surely get there. All right. He well, could. lovely, great story. Yeah, the crown jewels, uh, who hasn't had that moment? Mm. All right. Last question for you, Sandy. What life lesson? Has Padder brought to you? Life lesson has Paddle brought me. This is a good one. I think, and and I think what's what's interesting is the life lesson, and it's something that I'm trying to apply to the business and and other areas of my life, is that um patience and, and consistency win the day really um and i'm and when i think about that as a life lesson for paddle i think about that as not only like my playing experience my coaching experience patience and consistency with with players but also their experience like i often find that players are trying to really rush and 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 do what the pros are doing and, and do it when really it's it's just building blocks it's building solid building blocks and and a lot of people say and I, I get this on, on a very regular basis where they say, oh, I love your videos. I'm going to make these videos too. And I think, fantastic, go for it. But just bear in mind that it's been, you know, uh, it's it's been very, very consistent over a number of years to, to get to, to to get that that build up. And it compounds after, you know, uh, a number of years. But patience and consistency is 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 king, I think. And, and it, it, king on the court, king as a coach in a business i'm sure you would probably agree with that in you know in in the work that you do as well and and i think that it's it's having that is 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 key really and that so i'd say that has, has been my life lesson i love it sandy i think it's a great lesson or life lesson for parents to mm. be patient and consistent in the way you bring up your children Sandy, beautiful. Thank you for coming on The Joy of Paddle. Tell us how we can follow you. What are the best ways to see what you do, your work, track you down, Insta, Insta Sandy. What, what, what are the best uh, links? 
Um, yeah, the the best place. Well, I'm on the paddle school at every single channel, really, and and we, you know, make a make a point of of really being engaging. So if you do write, it is usually me who's writing back, or or um, you know, if you've post a video in our community, it's almost always me. Um, we have a, a free trial on thepaddleschool.com, so if anyone wants to go and try, uh, test it out, and you know, see our content, our tutorials, our roadmaps and and send in some videos. That's a great way to do that. And um, yeah, I mean, I'm just I'm just happy to have more positive people in the paddle community. So so please do come and say hi. Keep up the phenomenal work, Sandy. Great to have you on the show. Listen to your energy and your lessons. I loved it very much. Vamos, Sandy. <laughs> Thank you very much for having me, Minter. An absolute pleasure. So I hope you've enjoyed this Joy of Paddle episode. Please don't forget to subscribe to be the first in queue for the next episode. And if you like what you hear, please do share around with other paddle aficionados. This is a sport that deserves to be played by absolutely everyone. And if you've got a story that you'd like to share, please send me an email or a, better yet, a voice note at nmintadial at gmail.com. With that, thanks for listening. And see you on the next episode of the Joy of Paddle podcast. Vamos! Hey there, my name is Michael Laminato and this is Pit Pass F1, a brand new podcast that'll take you closer to the action of the world's most prestigious motorsport. From Monaco to Miami and Australia to Azerbaijan, Pit Pass F1 is on the ground and has you covered. Esteemed F1 journalists Julianne Serasoli and Chris Medland will take you inside the sport every round. They'll keep you up to date with the latest news breaking in Formula One and the most influential views shaping the world of Grand Prix racing. Every Friday, we'll be bringing you a track guide and race preview, and Chris and Drew will be in your feed every morning from Saturday through to Monday to keep you up to date on all the day's action on and off the track. So if you want to be in the know on the latest in Formula One, subscribe wherever you get your favourite podcasts and visit us at evergreenpodcasts.com. Pit Pass F1, a brand new show for Evergreen Podcasts.